I want you for a moment to regard the human face. Now, not this one, just human faces. It's a remarkable construct. And it might even be a signal to us, a reflection of something we need to know, an instruction just to watch the face. Most of the face functions primarily as a receiver. It is where we intake our information. We have uh, our skin that tells us some things. We have two ears. We have two eyes. The ears are never level, and the eyes are not either. They are there to help us hear and see more than we thought we could. We have two nostrils, our tongue and our hair. You may wonder what uh, intake you get from your hair. Quite a lot, actually. Everything from wind to touch to proximity you get from your hair. And then to give information, you have your mouth. And maybe your expression, that could give some. But that's it. Your face is primarily a receiver. And I think we might want to remember this. We are, as human beings, designed to receive information, a lot more information than we are designed to give. We do not learn through our mouth. We learn through our eyes and our ears. God has given us this as a signal. Now, it is, also, it is very true that if you misuse your mouth, somebody might teach you a lesson, and that would be an exchange of information. Don't do that. Don't be the giver or the taker of this. We learn through all of these other receptors. God designed us for community, and that should be obvious by now as we've been going through the disciplines. And today, the discipline of openness. Now, you may wonder how that's a discipline. Oh, my goodness, it's one of the hardest ones. But it's one we were designed for if we would just pay attention. What may not be obvious is that our faces and brains were built to be a community. It makes sense, then, that our faces would be designed to receive a lot more information, many, many more bits of information than we are expected to give. When we speak... We are cutting off any possible intake of information. Speaking is giving to the point where you're not learning. You're not receiving when we speak. We could, we could argue that facial expressions are the expressions of others. Um, when we're in close proximity to us, will help us. But a lot of our speech now is via media. It is, uh, whether it's Twitter or Snapchat or Facebook or whatever it is, we, um, we exchange without seeing the face. And when you speak, even through a keyboard, you're shutting down your ability to receive as long as you are speaking. Notice how speaking doesn't come up in this biblical definition of what it means to be wise. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by, watch this, this is not the definition we would have expected. By their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom, there weren't quote marks around it in the original because they didn't have those, but 
it's, it's a good bet there, there today. Wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive. When was the last time you got, got the word submissive in a definition of wisdom? Full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. There's no speaking involved in that definition. And he actually defines it twice, if you noticed. At the very first, he gives you kind of a meta-definition, and then he gives you a more practical one there at the end. And it's all about listening and then living a pure, submissive life. Intake more than speaking. Allowing others to speak so that you learn. And then serving them, being submissive and kind, that is wisdom. Our definition of wisdom is really then skewed, is it not? Our definition of wisdom sometimes can even hang on what bits of paper does that person have hanging on a wall. That doesn't make one wise. That means that they went to a facility whose job it is to give you those bits of paper if you jump through their hoops and you jump through them and you got the paper. I've got some of those as well. That doesn't mean I'm wise. Wisdom is not about, oh, I'm too smart to hang out with you. No, no, no. I had a man, a plumber once, years ago, working in our house who kept apologizing because he hadn't gone to college. And I said, mister, I went to college and I don't know what you're doing, but I am ready to write you a check because I, you are solving an issue which I cannot solve. And he looked at me and he said, but you're smart, you could figure it out. And I said, there's where you've gone wrong. If my toaster broke, I would lay it on the couch and ask it how it felt about its mother. I have no ability here. Wisdom requires you to understand what you do not know and when you need to be quiet to listen. Maybe that's why my job is the only job in the universe that comes with a warning label written by God. Let not many of you be teachers. I have really wrestled with that over the years. And it goes on to say, you'll receive a greater condemnation. Wow. Maybe teachers should learn to listen as well then. So that they do not shut off the intake of information. James has dealt with speaking, by the way. And he did it earlier in that chapter. Twelve verses, here we go. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. That's not me. When we put bets into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or, or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boast. 
Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. He's a little strong on this, you think? All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Here's where it gets hard, isn't it? And he, he made it hard. If I say something really awful, and then I pull back and I say, I'm sorry, that just slipped out. Well, a rule of the universe is that nothing can slip out unless it's first in. If I drop a jug of milk, molasses is not coming out because that wasn't in there. We allow it to get in. Job talked about this when he said, I have made a covenant with my eyes not to look at certain things because I don't want them in. We are receptors. We are to remember this. James, make sure, I mean, could James have said anything else to tell us how dangerous the tongue is? I don't think so. Speaking should not be your first response. You shut off teachability as long as you're talking. And you don't even have to talk. Here's the thing, and you really got to get this in your head if you could, please. Have you ever been to a party where people are telling funny stories and jokes? And you're thinking, oh, I got to remember those. And you don't. You don't. The next day you'll say, oh, there are so many jokes and funny things. And you'll say, what was one of them? Oh, you know why we're like this? There's so many studies that have done this, showing this. It's because while they're telling jokes and stories, we're thinking about how we should respond and what story or joke we've got to go back. And because of this, we don't remember. We don't intake information because we're speaking and preparing to speak in our heads instead of just listening. Sometimes something can short-circuit that system. Uh, I had an, uh, an elder up in Michigan where we were in the Detroit area. And, and John, uh, we were all talking about the first concert we ever went to. And he said, well, it wasn't really a concert, but at the basketball game at halftime, they wheeled out a piano, and this little African-American boy at that time, he was just a little kid, came out and played a whole bunch of songs, and we thought, well, that was good. And they called him Little Stevie Wonder. And immediately I said, and I'm out. I, I can't top this. I've got nothing, and in fact, I'm now embarrassed about my first concerts. Thank you very much. But had it been somebody more on the level of, of mine, in my brain, I'd have been thinking how to top it, because we're human beings. We have to discipline our brain to listen. Husbands and wives, this is important. You have to shut down your response and listen. We get our feelings hurt sometimes, and we decide not to listen. We shut down. 
I, I see it a lot now in politics. The phrase comes out, facts don't care about your feelings. And technically, that's very true. I saw a video recently of a woman uh, that was arguing against this and said, my feelings don't care about your facts. And I thought, what a fascinating way to go through life. I am not sure you can survive life with that. Policeman pulls you over. You're going 70 in a 40 zone. You know, my feelings don't care about your facts. Policeman doesn't care either. He's writing you a ticket. And you can say, well, I, you know, I, don't, I don't acknowledge your power. Uh, you don't have to. It's there. You don't have to acknowledge gravity. It'll get you. You don't have to acknowledge time. It'll get you. We need to have our feelings. We're human. Have our emotions. But quiet them while we listen before we respond. I can remember studying the Bible with people and coming to the subject of baptism only to have them push back at that stage by saying, if I'm baptized, I'm saying my mother's in hell. Well, that's a low-hanging curveball in many ways to deal with that. Uh, it's very, very easy. But I don't want to do that right now. I want to pull back. Let's say that what they said was true. I don't think it is. But let's say that what they said is true. That if they're baptized, they're saying their mother, who never was and is now deceased, is in hell. Don't you think your mother, if she were lost, would want you not to be? Why do you think it's an act of loyalty to shut down the information and not learn? Now, that's a hard one. I get it. But the fact is this. If a bit of information causes my world order to shift, I am likely to shut it down. This is why you almost never see anybody convinced in an argument on Facebook or Twitter. Why? They've already shut down. And they are giving information. They are not receiving information. And by the way, that's just a microcosm of life. People do that in arguments all the time. We can even be chided into becoming unteachable. When I was a boy, I was told that everything we needed to know about God and church and the Bible, we knew. Here's the program. And it, we became unteachable. Somebody came to me. I had a proof text to go for him. Somebody came at me. I had a system. And here's the thing. You start doing this and you read material and you're going, no, no, I got to dismiss that. That disagrees with me. People can start shoving you left or right because, you're because they're, they're unteachable and they're saying, right, you're wishy-washy. You haven't made a decision on this. This is important. And you shut down. You want to be accepted by the group. So you don't say what you want to say. And that's sad. It's very sad. In other words, remaining teachable is hard work. Is it not? My father, who God bless him, but uh, he would see me reading something. He goes, what are you reading? I would tell him the name of the book. And he'll say, who wrote that? And I'd tell him, is he a member of the church? Now, he didn't mean the church universal. <laughs> he didn't even mean the church of Christ. He meant our stream within the church of Christ. And I said, no. And he goes, well, I, I, don't, I don't think there's anything in there I need to hear. What just happened? Shut down. I like to read things written by people I disagree with. Because if two people agree about everything, one of them is unnecessary. We need the viewpoints. We need to hear. 
And I have been taught so much by just shutting up and listening. If the Holy Spirit is doing something new, are you reachable? Are you teachable? Are you open to the move? If the Holy Spirit is looking at 2019, and um, by the way, it's not year 2019 in heaven, so I'm, I'm being very human-based as I say this. Uh, I don't have no idea what the year is. I don't think they have time. 2019, and the Holy Spirit wants to move and change things. Are you willing to go, or will you stand there and sing, I shall not be moved? By the way, there are some times you should sing that song. But most of the time, you might want to open your eyes. We have a shepherd in John chapter 10, verse 27. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. Sheep move. And we have a good shepherd. Shepherds move. You're going to be in movement. If I'm, I'm 62. If I live another 10 years and I have not changed my mind about something in that 10 years, what's the point? What's the point of, of, of those 10 years? I didn't grow. I didn't move. The shepherd moves. Look in the Old Testament. They're moving. In the New Testament, go into all the world. It's a movement thing. It's a not bury your talent and keep it safe. It's move. I was introduced to something called Lectio Divina about 15 years ago. And to be honest, it, it took me quite a while to get into it. What in Lectio Divina, you read or you pray. I'm simplifying it for those of you that really do this as a practice. I don't mean to be dismissive because I, it, I'm not at all. But it's reading a couple of lines of scripture or a couple of lines from a song again and again and again. And you don't move on. You keep doing this and allow God to raise within you knowledge and insight through his spirit. It took me a while. I remember the first service I went to that uh, one of my staff members asked if he could design a service in Lectio Divina and I had to go look it up. I'd never heard of it. When I did, I said, well, okay. And he did. And I can remember, it was halfway through the service, and I was going, can we move now? Because a very impatient man. I learned, however, to get the point of it after a while, and I've benefited from it. I learned. I changed my mind. But there's another ancient custom I think we need to bring in here to help. Visio Divina. We need to look. We need to see. Look at these passages from Psalms. When I consider, what are we doing? Intake. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, the heavens declare the glory of God. By the way, they only declare the, God, the glory of God if you're listening. A lot of people look at the heavens and see burning rocks. They don't see God. You have to listen. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. By the way, if you don't have speech, but the voice goes out, that's visio divina. You are receiving. The voice goes out. Their words to the end of the world. 
in the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. I love that phrase. We could just sit here and Lectio Divina, that one. That's an amazing phrase. God speaks to us through creation. Romans says the same thing. Let's go. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. There is one. We'll go back to uh, Psalm 24.1. I get so excited. Um, this is my only gig. You know, I only work like two hours in a week. And, and um, I'm just all over it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Now, that's a fascinating one. And we need that one because of this. Watch what what happens back whenever I would work with psychology students uh, it was just a short period of my life but I was able to show them something I'd say in a public place you know just look out the window there's a quad or a square or something I said I want you to pick somebody and dislike them I know that sounds strange but man it's easy all of them I said I want you to find and they would try to you know no no we don't do that yes you do every day find somebody I just look and dislike them. And they would, really quick. And then I would say, now, find somebody and like them. Here's the thing. All of the dislikes, when I say, why do you dislike her? Why do you choose that person? Was based on appearance or action. All of the likes, they were creating stories. Well, that one... Uh, looks like it's she's a single mother and yet she's coming to school and she's working hard and story we need to listen to stories and not judge by the first intake Romans 1 the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness don't be a truth suppressor even if it changes you even if it rocks your world let, let it go. Somebody sent me a book this week by Amazon. They didn't, they didn't say who it was, but it was a book to sort me out on an issue. I knew it as soon as I opened it up. Uh-huh. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it honestly, and if I need sorted out, which I have many times in my life, I am gifted at being wrong, and I thank God that people still help me. Um, I don't want to suppress the truth. I'll listen. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain. How so? For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities. Now think about that. Not the existence of God. What kind of God we have? His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Wow. It's amazing. Campbell, Alexander Campbell, who started this church, uh, this particular congregation, um, said God uses two books, the Bible and creation. I think we need to start paying more attention to creation without taking our attention away from Scripture. That we need to work them together because God intended them for, uh, to work together. Ted Loder was describing Visio Divina when he said this, and I asked that this be put up because it's quite a quote. I am so thankful to be alive, breathing, moving, sensing, wide-eyed, cock-eared, alive in this mysterious instant at this luminous time on this nurturing earth. Somebody got a thesaurus for Christmas. 
this blue pearl of great price whirling through uncharted space attended by vigilant stars i am eager to miss no message of grace in this ballet of beauty or in the cramp of struggle in this incredible gift of life he is open he is watching an example of my failure to do so was two days ago here we go my mom's in hospital 87 She's been in hospital for a week. Now, she's home now. Two days ago, she's in hospital. They're, she's NPO. No, no food, no drink, because they're going to do a test at 8.30 in the morning. 9.30, hadn't done it. 12.30, hadn't done it. I made a call. My sister made a call. The, they got it started at 1.30. It took three hours. This is a woman who's, she needs her coffee. And she's had nothing. Well, they bring her up. And um, I'm, I'm away at this stage. And she calls me. And she goes, they just brought me dinner. It's, it's, all, it's all liquid. Now, I'm not an MD. I'm so, those people know so much stuff I don't know. But I do know that's not necessary after that test. What? You know, and by the way, they brought her a real dinner later saying they made a mistake. But I didn't know that. Let's not go there. Let's go back here. And I said, why did they bring you liquids? And she goes, I don't know, but it's really good. She said, the broth is really tasty, and, there's cran and she's acting like Christmas. And there's cranberry juice, and there's tea, and then there's this frozen thing, and it's Italian something. She's never had Italian ice. This was new. This is revelatory for her. She was so excited, and I kept thinking, I told my wife, I, hung up, I said, if it had been me, I would have been gnawing the wallpaper and then walked out, gown or not, found the charge nurse, and revealed the wrath of the Lord thereupon. And my mom's going, this is great. Wow. I'm never going to be my mom, but I sure like to be. What an amazing attitude of visio divina. I will see the joy. I will choose what comes in. Mirrors lie. You know that, right? Because you look in a mirror and you're thinking, well, pretty good. Somebody takes a picture, you go, oh my goodness. That's horrid, that is. The reason is we don't know what we look like because mirrors lie. They reverse everything. And people have actually devised, I'll call it a mirror, but it's more of an apparatus, that when you look in, it shows you the right side round. And nobody likes it. They're not going to ever sell it because every time they show people that, people go, oh, no, no. We like the lie. The reason is when we look in the mirror, not only are we, are, is our reflection reversed, we're not seeing us. We're seeing our story. We're seeing who we are as a person and how we got there. When someone takes a picture of us, it's not a story. It's out of place. And immediately we feel like, well, that's not right. Or they got me at the wrong angle. I don't have a good side. And I imagine some of you are the same situation. Physical and emotional reflection in a mirror. We don't really see who we are. I won't go on Mr. Science on you here, but we don't even see anything. We just see the reflection off of things. I think most of you knew that. Um, like, for example, this is uh, black to us. But in physics, it's all colors but black. Black is the one which it does not absorb and it reflects back. Got that, right? 
In other words, we are interpreting things all the time. Our eyes see shapes and colors that are reflected off of things, and I find it interesting because creation is also a reflection of the wisdom, the grace, the care, and the character of our God. As uh, Robin Williams once said, reality, what a concept. This is the only church which will quote scripture, Robin Williams, Ted Loder, and now Johann Kepler, uh, a 19, uh, 1500s physicist, and it, it's a bargain. It's a bargain, isn't it, to come here and get all... Anyway, Johann Kepler advanced the cause of, of Europe and pulled Europe out of ignorance, almost single-handedly, by mathematically describing everything. Plato and Aristotle thought Earth was a special case and all the laws out there don't apply here. And he showed how the laws all apply through the universe. He, he proved that Copernicus was right, that the sun is the center of our solar system. He also went to bat for women who were being accused of witchcraft, one of whom was his mother, who had a death sentence until he went into court and described mathematically and by logic how this was ridiculous. And she was let go. By the way, there's a, there's a book about that. If you're interested, it is amazing. But Kepler said this, science, and just remember this phrase, silence is merely thinking God's thoughts after him. All we are doing is revealing what God already figured out. We are opening the present of the, of the universe. By the way, Johann Kepler believed in Visio Divina and he, he, he looked to see God and he rejoiced when someone showed him he was wrong and would write extensively about how he got something wrong because he felt that that was also learning. How different from some of us. Two people walk through a woods. One sees God in every leaf, every tree, every bird, and in the life that's in the soil. One sees only the woods or their phone. They miss God because you see, you see what you look for. You see what you look for. We look for God when we realize that we need to look for God. We consciously open our lives to the needs of others, to the information that's out there, and to Visio Divina, seeing our God. Mark, would you bring your team back up? They've asked all of us to stay up here somewhat, so I'm going to just get, find a stair. The reason is, when we get down there, we short people disappear. And some people in the balcony were hearing disembodied voices. I should do that now, shouldn't I? I should duck down here and go, people in the balcony. No, I won't do that. We want to remain teachable. So let us all stand and read these passages from Psalms together. For you are great and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. 
Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God, my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your words, for I delight in your commands, because I love them and the last. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. And the whole church says, Amen. Amen.